everybody, and welcome to yet another edition of the Time Out with DG podcast. I am your host, Daniel Gotera, as always. Hope you guys had a good weekend. Thanks for stopping by once again. New week, new Texans drama, or should I say same Texans drama, just a, just a different chapter in that just awful book that we've been reading for the past week and a half, two weeks. Uh, we will get into that in a little bit, but first, the particulars. If you haven't yet, go ahead and like the podcast, subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening to this to get updates on whenever I post a new podcast episode. Hey, we did three last week, three in four days, starting off this week with one on Monday. As I said, I'm trying to commit to this thing and trying to get as many episodes up as I can. And look, it's <laughs> we're not missing any news. That's for sure. We're not lacking any news. I should say that uh, because of what's going on, not only with the Texans, with the Rockets. So everything's been good so far on the podcast. The reboot of the podcast, I should say, which happened last week. Uh, some good numbers. So I appreciate that. And uh, hopefully we can continue that moving forward as we uh, as we move on in this uh, crazy young year that we're experiencing so far. As I mentioned, topic number one on this podcast will be Deshaun Watson, Jack Easterby, and the rest of the Texans mess that we have uh, been reading about and hearing about over the last couple of weeks. That is topic number one. We will get into that shortly, but we're also going to talk about Drew Brees and uh, his final, seemingly final game in the NFL as the uh, Saints lost to the Buccaneers yesterday. That was the only game that I got wrong. No, no, check that. Now I picked the Ravens, too. So I was two for two this past weekend on my picks from last Friday. Um, so it'll be the Bills and the Chiefs and the Buccaneers and the Packers. Uh, so we'll talk about Drew Brees uh, after his loss to the Buccaneers. Tampa Bay actually could be the first team to play a Super Bowl in their home stadium. And of course, that would happen in a year where the stadium can't be packed, right? Um, so that's unfortunate for Bucks fans, but they are in the NFC Championship, and Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback all the, of all time, although the Saints did pretty much give that game up too. So we'll talk about Drew Brees specifically, not so much the game. I'll, I'll give my thoughts on Drew Brees, the, the player and the, and the man uh, that he's been for that city of New Orleans uh, coming up. We'll also talk about the Astros and Scout Day over at the Astros Youth Academy. Really great thing that those guys do over there, promoting inner-city youth and the game of baseball, trying to get these kids that, you know, go to some of these schools that aren't really visited much by pro scouts, don't get that exposure, the programs that aren't as successful as others, but they still have some talented players. So what the Astros Youth Academy does, they bring them in and showcase them on scout day for pro scouts from uh, Major League Baseball teams. Uh, which is really cool. They do it every Martin Luther King Day. I caught up with Daryl Wade, the director of the Astros Youth Academy, to talk about what it means to him to see so many young men and women get the opportunity to perform in front of these scouts and what he gets out of it after so many years of doing so much work with these talented young people. Also chatted with our baseball analyst, Jeremy Booth, about the environment that these camps are being held in and why it's been so tough to generate so much more interest within the African-American community, within some of these inner city groups, to get baseball going to where it needs to be. Good conversations. I hope you stay tuned for that. Also, I want to touch on WandaVision. Anybody out there a big Marvel fan? I'm, I'm all in on Marvel, uh, for sure. There will be no Marvel slander in my house. That is 
definitely the case. Uh, WandaVision coming out on Disney Plus last Friday. Two episodes. A little trippy. A little different. I like it. Uh, we'll talk on about that because there's some people that don't like it. And those people uh, can go jump in the lake because they don't really understand Marvel. <laughs> That's my opinion. I, I, I want to get Christian Covington, former Texans defensive lineman, now with the Bengals, too. Uh, I want to get him on to talk about uh, Marvel because he's a huge Marvel guy. So maybe one of these episodes I'll get him on to talk about Marvel and what he thinks about the expanding MCU. Okay, but first... So we talk about the Texans and the ongoing drama of what's going on over there off Kirby at NRG Stadium. This weekend, another Sports Illustrated article came out talking about the dysfunction, talking about just the rift between the Deshaun Watson side, the players and the front office, the ownership, how nobody's on the same page. I just don't understand. I'm baffled. I I tweeted out over the weekend and and I got some of you guys to agree with me. I'm just totally floored at the fact we're in this position. Like, I keep going back to that point. Like, we're choosing Jack Easterby and this guy who has no business being in personnel, being in the inner workings of a professional football franchise over your franchise quarterback. We're at this point right now, and... It's gotten so bad, and it's angered so many people that on Monday we had a group of folks rally, protest, call it whatever you want. It wasn't a huge number of people, obviously, but they were outside NRG Stadium chanting, Jack must go, Jack must go, and holding up signs in support of Deshaun Watson. The group was supposed to be bigger, but Watson tweeting out on Monday morning that, hey, you guys that are going to be rallying in my favor, go ahead and stay home because of the whole COVID pandemic. And I guess that goes to my next point. For people to get together during a pandemic and protest a professional sports franchise, you know things are really bad within that franchise. Like that, that, That pretty much encompasses where we're at. Nobody should be protesting a professional sports. This is sports. At the end of the day, we got to keep everything in perspective. It's sports. Okay, these players come and go and all that. But people get emotionally attached to players, especially a guy like Deshaun Watson for this fan base. They've never had a really good quarterback for an extended period of time other than Matt Schaub those two years. This is their guy. He just signed a four-year, $150 million deal. He's 25 years old. And... The organization is basically, for all intents and purposes, just kind of giving the middle finger to the guy because they're not following what they said they would when it comes to his wishes. All he wanted to be was involved, and now all of a sudden, uh, he's not, and he's really upset. So fans are rallying to support him. So now you've got an irate fan base, and you've got pretty much a group of people inside the front office that are sticking to their guns. Cal McNair, maybe his wife, who was mentioned in that Sports Illustrated article, DMing fans, DMing, direct messaging fans on Instagram. I mean, how how am that's amateur hour. That's that's this is what's going on here. I mean, no wonder there are multiple reports, and we've got analysts on TV talking about how the culture of the Texans never treated star players right. I mean, we had Andre Johnson flat out say that. I mean. 
it's not good. I mean, this is the story of the offseason, and the Texans could have avoided all of this if they had just included Deshaun in the hiring process of their general manager and not had him find out who they hired by going on social media while he was on vacation. That is literally the one move that could have been made to avoid all of this. Yes, firing Jack Easterby will go a long way, but I don't know if that's enough now. I don't know if that's enough to get Deshaun Watson back in the fold. Now, the Texans have interviewed Eric Bieniemy, offensive coordinator at Kansas City. Um, he was Watson's top choice. Watson also wanted to interview Robert Sala, uh, the 49ers defensive coordinator, ended up being hired by the Jets. They never even talked to that guy. He was with the Texans for, uh, for a while back in the uh, mid-2000s, 2010 era. Um, so he was here for a long time. Never talked to him. But they have talked to Biennemi. Is that enough? Will that be enough to get Deshaun back in? Will Eric Biennemi want this job, given what's going on? Will he tell Nick Casario, hey, if I go there, I want several assurances. One, that Deshaun isn't traded, because I'm not going to leave my post at Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes and go to a franchise that has no quarterback, and then we're going to have to draft another one and rebuild this whole roster. That's one. Number two, is Easterby going to be fired? And if he's not going to be fired, is his role going to be significantly diminished? Uh, I don't know if that's enough. We already had Charles O'Menehue, uh, defensive lineman, come out and say that Jack has been good to him. Now, I know I understand a guy like that who's you know new in the league, doesn't want to ruffle any feathers. Um, but it's all over the place. Nobody's on the same page. That's the one thing Deshaun was talking about when the season ended. He wanted everybody on the same page. He wanted a foundation to build a winning culture like he had at Clemson. And the guy's used to winning. He won in high school. He won in college. He is used to winning cultures. And if you don't win, you need a culture that is building towards a winning franchise. And right now, the Texans aren't that. They're not even close to it. I mean, you watch the games this weekend. I mean, those teams are on another level, man. Like, and we saw it earlier this year when the Texans played Baltimore, when they played Kansas City, when they even played Minnesota, when they played, you know, these teams that are going to be in the playoffs in the Hunt Pittsburgh. Uh, they were in the playoffs. They're not even close. They're not close to that. Um, and if they want to be close to it, the only reason that they have a prayer to be close to it is Deshaun Watson, and they've made him pretty upset. Um, everything that I've heard, this is going to last a long time. It's going to be uh, going on most of the offseason. Now, the enemy hire, if they go that route, could go a long way. Um, but uh, we'll see what happens. It's just very unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, I even had our uh, one of our main anchors, Len Cannon, send me a message saying, dude, is this really happening? Like, is, is it what's going on here? And I, I, I don't really know how to describe it. Uh, for some reason, the McNair family is just in love with Jack Easterby and what he brings. And frankly, what does he bring? What does he bring that another guy can't bring? Um, so it's really disappointing. Disappointing to see a franchise like this just completely fall apart in a in a span of one calendar year. Whew, man, it's really bad. Uh, so we'll see how that pans out. Okay, NFL games this past weekend. Great effort by the Bills. I know Lamar Jackson got hurt there towards the end. But great effort by the Bills to shut down that Baltimore running attack. Uh, Buffalo, great story. I, I, you know, if I had a rooting interest, I just want to see good games. If I had a rooting interest, interest I'm definitely going to root for the Bills because uh, I know how much that city loves Buffalo, their team. The city of Buffalo loves the Bills. So 
Um, that's just a great story. Uh, they're they're playing fantastic. I mean, if you look at if you look at their last half of the season, their only loss came on that hail mary play against the Cardinals, where uh, DeAndre Hopkins caught that pass. Uh, that was the only loss the Bills have had in the last I don't know ten something games. So they've been very impressive. Uh, so I like the Bills. I like the Bills, and um, we'll see if they can keep it rolling. But it'll be a tough task in Kansas City. My guess is Patrick Mahomes will play. Um, I, I don't see how he he stays out of that game, and I think he will play. So Buffalo, Kansas City should be a good one, and the other one, these uh, Tampa and Green Bay should be another good one. Two great quarterbacks. Tom Brady used to playing in the cold weather. So that's not going to affect him. Will that Tampa Bay defense be able to shut down Aaron Rodgers and that Green Bay attack? That should be an exciting matchup for sure. I wonder what the weather's going to be like. That's always a toss-up in Green Bay. But uh, it would be kind of cool to see Tampa play in their own stadium for the Super Bowl. And plus, Tom Brady, his story continues, right? The greatest of all time. Uh, but the story this weekend, really, after Tom Brady beat the Saints, was Drew Brees retiring and uh, I just hate to see it end like that for Drew Brees. I mean, he's been such a sensational quarterback, one of the best to ever do it. Um, he just doesn't have the Super Bowl rings to back it up, but his stats are right there with everybody else, with the greats of Peyton Manning, Dan Marino, Tom Brady. I mean, Drew Brees is just first ballot Hall of Famer. I mean, you you name it. I mean, he he's just a sensational player. And it was so cool to see uh, Brady and Brees on the field after the game with uh, Drew's family, and they were playing football out there by the end zone in the Superdome. And then there was a cool moment that was captured by, I think, the Fox affiliate in New Orleans uh, with Drew and his wife hugging each other, looking at each other, saying, uh, you can imagine what they're thinking, right? I mean, this this long journey of theirs is, is done, it's complete, and um, it is expected that Drew Brees will retire. I hate to see it end that way, as I mentioned, but, I mean, Drew, not only just a good football player, man, but... What he's meant for that city in New Orleans is is amazing. I mean, you talk to anybody from Louisiana, from New Orleans in particular. I mean, Drew Brees is a is a hero over there. I mean, he is he's a legend. I mean, not only has he has he played winning football for the for the franchise, but man, all the money that he's donated for all these charity groups in New Orleans to help rebuild the city, to help the inner city, and then. It, it, it's just a tremendous legacy that he's created there, and that that's what you want to see from players, not just you know success on the field, but just success off of it too. And Drew Brees has done that. And that's why it was so unfortunate that when this his comments were spun out of control, his comments about the anthem and standing for the anthem spun out of control. You know, it was so disappointing to see his player, these players on his own team not stand up and defend him, to just say what he believed. I mean, don't you know? I mean, at that point, I know most of these guys just wanted to, you know, make a statement, and they they, they didn't want to seem like they weren't for the uh, overall cause of, I mean, kneeling for the anthem and all that. But, I mean, Drew's entitled to his belief, too. And I don't think he should have apologized for it. Uh, but Drew's entitled to his belief. And what happened to him, how many people vilified him, and to see his jersey being burned, I mean, all that, that, that was that was disgraceful, um, but Drew Drew is a legend, and uh, I always enjoyed watching him play. Uh, so best of luck to Drew. I mean, I think he could do TV. I think he's great for TV uh, analysis if he wants to do that. If not, just retire, enjoy your time, and uh, raise those three kids that he has, and um, 
he he's had a great career. I, I'm a big fan of Drew Brees. That's somebody that I I I would want my son to follow in his footsteps for sure because he's a he's a great example of what what somebody could be. Plus, he's a Big Ten guy. He's from Purdue, um, and that's uh, that's always a plus too. Uh, all right. So next topic of conversation. WandaVision. WandaVision. Anybody watch it? Who watched it out there? Not that I can see a show of hands, but WandaVision, I thought was great. The new Disney Plus show, the expanding MCU universe. A lot of people not liking it. It's gotten great reviews from critics. Uh, I didn't know what to expect. Now, keep in mind, I've been waiting for Marvel content for what, about a year and a half now? You're supposed to get Black Widow. That's supposed to be now in May. I hope they just move that to Disney Plus because I don't really want to go to the theater. I can just pay for it on my on-demand service, and let me just watch it at home. It's so much better. Uh, but we were supposed to get that movie, and then the pandemic hit. That was pushed back, and then Eternals was pushed back, and then Falcon Winter Soldier was supposed I mean, it's been a mess as far as Marvel releases, movies in general, really. But well, we finally got WandaVision, and I, I like it. I think it's good. It's it's quirky. It's, it's unique. It's different. Um, and... Like I said, a lot of people didn't like it because it doesn't fit that Marvel mold, but I think that's what makes it so good, right? And there's so many little Easter eggs, like little little things hidden within that show that if you've seen all the Marvel movies, you identified immediately. Like, for example, the two commercials, not to play spoiler. You know what? I'm not actually going to say anything. I can't say anything. I'm going to give everybody a little bit more time to watch it. Uh, but then we'll kind of get into it next week because we're going to review it every Monday. We will review the episode of WandaVision, uh, but I'll let you guys watch the first three episodes. Two are up. The next one's coming out on Friday. Uh, I think Paul Bettany does a great job uh, as Vision. Elizabeth Olsen does a great job as Scarlet Witch, so they have great chemistry, some fun little tidbits in there. We will talk about that specifically next week because I want you guys to at least watch three episodes uh, I'm trying to get my wife to watch the whole MCU at this point. Like, we've gotten through Iron Man. She's always giving me a hard time, by the way. And she's always said, oh, my God, you're so obsessed with the Marvel Universe. Like, how do you like it? So I've, I've taken her to see the two Spider-Man movies, Infinity War and uh, Endgame. I'm a big Captain America guy. Like, that's my dude, Captain America for sure. So I think that, hold on, who's coming in? Who's coming in? Oh, this is my son. He's coming in. That's my son. This is my. I'm on the, my podcast right now. Do you want to say hi? Yeah. Hi. That that would be Ryan. Ryan's on the podcast now. Do you want to talk some more? Yeah. Hi. <laughs> That's him. We were talking about Marvel. Do you like Marvel? Who's your favorite uh, Avenger? Thor. Thor. Okay. Do you like Iron Man too? Do you like uh, Captain America? Who's Daddy's favorite? I don't know. You don't know? Daddy's favorite? Captain. That's right. It's Captain America. Bingo. All right, buddy. I'll, I'll come out and see you here in a little bit, okay? I wanted to. What was that? What do you want to say to everybody? I like to. Yeah, and then he smiled. That's that's Ryan. <laughs> that, that, that'll. Wait till I add a video element to this. This is going to be cool. You get to see Ryan, too, a little bit. Um, but anyway, yeah, we'll talk about the, uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe later. Like I was saying, I was trying, I'm trying to get my wife into this whole thing. We've watched Iron Man, we watched Iron Man 2, and now she's all in on the, uh, Marvel Universe. So next up is Thor. We skipped the Hulk, because that's not really a good movie. She's here too, she wants to say hi. Hello, everyone. 
See, she she even knows how I start my podcast too. Awesome. Uh, she's she's gonna be a guest now. Everybody's jumping in. We've really fallen off the rails here. Hello. Yeah, there we go. All right, Ryan. I'll see you in a little bit. I'm gonna finish up here. Okay. Oh, thank you. Oh, that's nice. Kiss on the cheek. All right. So next topic and final topic is the Astros Youth Academy. I teased it off the top. They do great work for. <laughs> get out. Get out. Okay. Get out. Get out. Get out. All right. I'm trying to do some serious stuff here. Get out. My son and my uh, my wife. All right. All right. All right. All right. I'll be out there in a little bit, guys. Okay. Let's uh, let's drive this thing back on the road here. All right. Astros Youth Academy. They're doing some great work for, work for inner city youth. Awesome stuff there for uh, uh, for so many young men and women that want to keep playing baseball, get a college scholarship. So here's Daryl Wade, director of the Astros Youth Academy, to talk about that and so much more. Hope you enjoy it. What's so important about events and days like this? Well, I think here for us at the Astros Academy, it's great for us because a lot of the kids that we serve don't have an opportunity to be seen by pro scouts. Uh, we have some kids that have a lot of talent, but they may be the only person on their team at the high school with, with the talent. Um, so it gives us an opportunity. And I think uh, using the MLK Day as a backdrop, you know, it gives our kids an opportunity to know uh, that this is a special day. And it gives us an opportunity right before they start their high school uh, season that uh, they get to come out and scouts can look at them, have them on the radar for this year. How'd it go? What, uh, what was the reaction from scouts uh, and some of the guys? I'm sure they're always so fired up to, to perform in front of those guys. Well, of course, the kids are very excited when they see the teams come out in a, with their uh, uh, logos on their chest so they know who's here. And then today, of course, normally we have the scouts talk to them before we get started and tell them what they're looking for. So that helps so they know now what to look for. But the scouts seem to be very excited. Uh, we're very uh, blessed to have some technology out here that kind of helps us uh, be able to do some things with them to, uh, to help them out. What, um, you know, you guys have been successful getting guys uh, into college and even guys that have been in, in the big leagues too in the pro system. What, where are we at as far as getting the exposure for these, uh, uh, these young men and women? Because I know this is a project that you guys have been working on for a long time. I think, you know, like, like I said earlier, days like today, you know, and having a good program, having a consistent program, we work with the kids. We have a very diverse group of kids out here. Uh, just been fortunate. We have a great staff that, that works with our kids. They're dedicated to doing this. Uh, my staff, Megan Hayes, who kind of handles softball, and Dwayne Stelly, who handles baseball as well. Uh, they're very, you know, they're dedicated to them. Both of them play Division I uh, college sports. And um, so we're very excited to have them. I think that's you know, you got to have a person with a passion and a champion for it. And I think uh, all of us out here, you know, really, it's important for us to get our kids in college. Um, of course, we'd love to get them all drafted, but we know we probably have a better opportunity to get them in college. So we've been very blessed to have an opportunity to get, you know, a little over 150-plus kids in college over the years. So that's kind of – we hang our hat on that more than we hang on getting them drafted. But, you know, we're excited that they do get drafted every now and then. How, how's the interest level is, you know, I know Major League Baseball is always kind of pushing for, you know, more African-Americans to play the game of baseball to kind of get the, the game into into the inner cities a little bit more. How, how is that going? How is that push going within the league? And do you see the interest level rising a little bit more as, as, the, as, that, as that push has been, uh, been going on? 
Yeah, I, I think for sure. I think the numbers are pretty good. Of course, we need more. We need a, a lot more kids to get involved. You know, being in Texas, you know, this is a football state. Uh, they got air conditions now in the gym, so basketball is becoming important during the summer. Uh, but we got a lot of kids that are, are baseball-minded kids, have great baseball IQ. So it, it's uh, it's moving in the right direction, I think. You know, kids are getting excited about it uh, and playing baseball. Uh, it, it's a game that, you know, of average, you know, 300 is pretty, is a great average. So I think our kids understand that. You know, I had a young man today who said, Coach, I didn't have it today, but I had it yesterday. I said, well, that's what baseball is about. You know, you can always come back the next day. What is it about the game that you can make appealing to to these young men and women to get them kind of interested? Like you said, football and basketball, yeah, sure. But, I mean, baseball is so unique. It's It's so different. Uh, and that's what makes it so unique. What What is it about this game that makes it so special to some of these kids? I think uh, the work ethic and the improvement that you can make. You know, you always hear the term baseball is a grind, and it is a game that you have to work on every day. Uh, and I think, just like I said, having a couple of kids that come back that are, that are in professional ball and let the kids know, you, know, you got to work at it. You know, it's a game that you – it's repetition. You have to keep keep it going. I think that, that helps us here – that we have this facility, we have Texas, where today it's about 70 degrees, you know, to next week it'll probably be in the 50s, but the next day it could be back in the 70s. So it helps us in Texas, of course, to have a facility like this to be able to, uh, you know, get out there every day, even though we don't let, you know, the, the temperature stop us, but it's, it's, baseball is a lot better when it's in warm weather, though, for sure. <laughs> Oh, yeah. oh, no, for sure. I know some of those early season games, especially in the big leagues, are pretty tough <laughs> for teams in Chicago. But uh, what, what, you, what, do you, what do you get out of what do you get out of this? I mean, when you see these uh, these young men, young, young women going out there to trying to trying to make a name for themselves. I mean, what, what goes through your mind when you when you see them try their best and perform for these scouts? Well, I, I think for me, you know, I, I get it because. I was a college baseball player, you know, of course, wanted to play professional baseball didn't happen. But, you know, having that opportunity to play in college, I got a degree, you know, and I like to tell, you know, people all the time, I went to probably one of the smallest colleges in Texas and uh, was able to be the athletic director of the largest school district in Texas. And now I work for the Houston Astros. So for me, it's important that we're giving kids an opportunity to go somewhere and play and get an education. Like I said earlier, I would love to see, you know, five or six get drafted a year. That's just not realistic. But I, we can definitely, you know, get five to 10 to 20 uh, in college every year. You know, a couple of years ago, we had 36 kids on our senior class went to college. Uh, a couple of years ago, before COVID-19, on the first day of baseball, softball in college, February, we had over 150 kids playing that day. So that was big for us. So that's what I get out of it. Uh, I mean, I love baseball. I, I love my hometown team, the Houston Astros. I love working for them. So I get a kick out of seeing kids, you know, when they get their college scholarship. Of course, you know, that first kid got drafted back in, I guess, 2015 when I uh, got the phone call. He just got drafted. I honestly started crying. And I was driving down, you know, Interstate 45, and I actually started crying pull over because I knew that we had worked hard and he had worked hard, and it was so special for that young man. And I probably cried for each one of them that got drafted just because I know it doesn't happen to everybody every day. And now we go to Jeremy Booth. Always fantastic to talk with. And now we go to Jeremy Booth, our baseball analyst. Develop a good friendship with him over the last couple of years, talking Astros baseball and all sorts of stuff. Some really good insight here about why baseball has not gained the traction that it should within certain communities 
He's got the insight. He's in it every day with his New Balance Future Stars League that he has. So successful. So proud of Jeremy for doing that. So here's Jeremy talking about baseball and the future in certain communities. You know, Daniel, you know, first, you know, thank you for bringing this up. This is a hot button topic, you know, across um, every line that, that is into our game. You know, it's something that starts with the players and then goes into opportunities and coaching and scouting and then into the executive life. Um, and it's something that sadly we've gone backwards in, right? When it comes to that particular area of diversity, we've gone far backwards um, over the last 20, 25 years. Now, there's many people who are going to find a, a cause and, 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 and effect. At this point, it doesn't matter what the cause is. What matters is how we're going to fix that and how we're going to get there. Um, holding days like today, like the Astros Academy is doing, I mean, that, that's a great thing. The more we can do that, that's great. The more we can have outreach to keep introducing the game, um, and, and more importantly, allowing players when they're done playing at college, collegiate level, high school level, professional level, to make baseball a post-career or a career after that, initial level of play, um, you'll see inroads change there. Baseball in the African-American community is, 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 a, is something that as the stars have dwindled in Major League Baseball that are from their same communities or people mm -hmm. look like them, sadly, the interest goes away. Now, I'd like to say that's not the case, but it is. And there's other things that have nothing to do with ethnicity and skin color and everything to do with the color green. And that is the privatization right. of the game today has gotten out of control for many families um, you know, African-American, um, Caucasian, you know, Asian, no matter what ethnicity denomination or front, doesn't matter. It, it, it's dollars or dollars, right? And it becomes to a point where it's, it can be too expensive for people and that's had an effect. Why is that really the, the main cause of it? I mean, is, is it, is it because that there are the, the star number of stars are dwindling? I mean, like, it just, it's just hard. It's so hard for me to wrap my brain around the fact that, you know, this game has been around for so long and, and it's just, it's just the interest level. I, is it not there? Is the interest level not there or the opportunity is not there? I guess it's two different things. Um, I wouldn't say the interest level is not there. I would say that other sports are now being seen as an economic um, ease on the family as opposed to baseball. And I would say that other sports are being seen as opportunities to go to college and then professional after that, as opposed to baseball, you know, um, college baseball still has 11.7 scholarships. That's it for 25 guys. Right. Um, and sometimes take that back 35 guys is what they're allowed. Yeah. So 35 players and 11.7. Um, when I was in college, Daniel, that was the amount of scholarships we had. And that was in the, in the mid nineties. So why hasn't that changed? Like, well, why hasn't that changed? You know, that's an NCAA question. I mean, I know Major League Baseball, to their credit, has reached out to the NCAA before and tried to work with them on their scholarship program, try to supplement different levels. And the NCAA ask back to it without getting into particulars was absurd. It's just, it's not, the NCAA isn't hurting for money. We're seeing humongous buyouts of coaches. We're seeing, you know, right. University of Texas, for example, they, they're not hurting for a couple more scholarships for these kids to expand and grow that level of, of, uh, of interest and, and more opportunities. And beyond that, Baseball in many places now is a revenue sport. You know, when I was in college, it wasn't necessarily a revenue sport, right? Mm -hmm. You can't tell me it's not that way at LSU, University of Texas, and even Penn State. Like, these places have uh, money where they're where making money on baseball now. So, um, 
the opportunities have changed at the grassroots level. There are groups trying to do it. Major League Baseball does have some things they're doing, like this Academy Scout Day. Um, you know, we do things. Um, other groups are out there doing things to try to get uh, into places that baseball has taken a step backwards. And, and then in the African-American community, if you think about the stars that we had in the last 15, 20 years, well, Frank Thomas, yep. King Griffin Jr., um, Dave Stewart, Ricky Henderson. Torrey Hunter. I think a Torrey Hunter. Torrey Hunter's a good one. I mean, here, here in Houston, going a little further back, you have Bob Watson, who just, you know, he passed this last year. Bob Watson was a revolutionary figure in, in sports, you know, in baseball. So um, just keep going down. Brandon Phillips was a star with the Reds. Kenny just, Lofton. Kenny Lofton. Great one. Kenny Lofton, right? I mean, the more you get into this, the more you can see it. And that's changed. Unfortunately, that's changed. Now, part of that has to do with the fact that, that players, you know, youth don't – they grow up and they identify with people that come from their communities, right? That's what they do. And if players in those communities, athletes, are going to other sports, the next group's going to follow. Well, the privatization of baseball, too, you said, right? I mean, that, that, that is – that's what really makes things tough sometimes for some of these kids. I mean, that's one of the things that Daryl told me. I mean, he, there's some talent out there. The teams might not be very good right, at some of these schools because you, you need a whole group to, to play uh, a successful game and all that. But there's some talent out there, and that's why they do it. They, they, they showcase it. So should Major League Baseball do a lot more? I mean, I feel like they should do a lot more to make some more inroads and not just kind of brush things over a little bit. You know, that's, again, you know, I, I got to tell you, you're on, we're on a roll today. You're on fire. <laughs> well, you're well thank you. Thank um, you. You're, you're talking about Daryl Wade, right, at the yeah. Ash huh? Academy? Yeah. Yeah, um, Daryl, yeah. No, I know Daryl. Uh, I can say that the, the youth academies are designed to be um, kind of a community foundation for players of all ethnicities, not just African-American, to go in there and, and play baseball for free. That's what they're, they're trying to do, okay? The industry, again, in the last 25 years, and, and we do things as well, Daniel, that have events that to stay with NCAA guidelines, there's a cost to some of the things that we do. Um, you know, we, we try to keep it as discounted as possible. We do scholarship stuff, but... There's, a, there's groups out there that have created a pay-for-play system that has gotten out of control. It can cost some families as much as 10 grand a summer to just play travel baseball, and, that, and that's absurd. It's absurd. Basketball did it first with AAU basketball, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, football, I don't think, has done it really at all with seven-on-seven and seven camps, but um, you've got you know, hockey, soccer, basketball. You've got these sports that are very expensive, and, and that's why I say it goes back to green. People can't afford that. Now, we can say, oh, you know, it's on the travel organization. Oh, it's on the event. Or, no, because people that control the space you need to play in, their costs are astronomically high, too, of what they're charging those groups to hold those events, right? So you've got an industry in youth sports that is, is, last I heard, $22 billion a year. By extension, Major League Baseball is $10 billion a year. So the biggest, the biggest brand on the planet is $10 billion. Youth sports is $22, all, all encompassing. It's not something that people can get in now and, 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 and take away. It's something that needs a slow systemic change um, and, and getting into those communities, allowing groups to use the youth academies that have a broader reach that are, can bring attention back to those communities and get to people is something Major League Baseball, you know, should do. And I think they will do after talking to, to Del Matthews, who's their VP. I've talked to them. I know Del quite a bit and, and, and uh, we've talked a lot and, and their goal is to get to groups to help play, more players play. They don't have to cost as much money. Um, why is it, now why is it taking a step back? Why, why has it gone so far back at the beginning? You, you mentioned, you know, mid 20, 25 years, it, it, now it's gone backwards. Um, well, why, why well, is that? 
part of it's privatization. Part of it is, you know, and, and look, I'm going to say this on the qualify and say, I promise you, this isn't a, a Jeff Luno and, and analytics thing I'm about to say. I got, I got to say it. I got to say it. Right. No, no, I, mean, no, I got it. I got it. Yeah. But, you know, the emphasis in on analytics and how we're scouting players and how we're signing players through the college ranks primarily. Well, if you decrease the access for those kids to get to school, you're going to decrease your pool of athletes to pull from that are not necessarily one type of athlete. And I'm staying away from putting a skin color to this because I don't think this is a skin color issue. This is now a broader systemic systemic issue that's affecting the African-American player. Okay. Um, if that is your goal and you're drafting and signing players from college, almost, you know, two to one at this point, right? Maybe even, maybe mm-hmm. even higher. Then the player who doesn't have the, the only people you're going to get are the players that have a scholarship. If those kids can't get to school and they can't afford it, they're going to play basketball and football. They're not going to get into major league baseball. They're not going to have that access point. Um, if you can go to Latin America and you can pull those players from there for less money with no college scholarship, no barrier to earlier age. Yeah. Who gets left out? Who gets pushed out? And so what you've seen is that that has been pushed out. Now, beyond that, you know, the change in the thinking in the game that corresponds to analytics, to that's that's who we're going to draft, right? Um, Let me, uh, you, met, you mentioned something. Are, are you surprised that, you know, there's a lot of so much emphasis put on international players and, and scouting internationally, getting these guys uh, coming in now. We saw all these Cuban players being signed recently. Um, yeah. Why is there no correlation there? Is it because they just come from overseas? Like, I, you know, there's – we're talking about skin color. There, there's a lot of those players some African-Americans can identify with, right? Like, what – is there just a disconnect because they're just not from here, grew up in the situations? No, I, the- I, don't mean, I don't mean that. I mean that I'm, I'm talking about opportunity. You know, everybody's yeah. still got to achieve, right? And the opportunity now – um, if we're focused in the states on college baseball players, to put it simply, mm-hmm. people making the decisions are focused on quantifiable ways to measure each player they draft. And the more data is better. The more data, the more reliable data comes from college sports. It's just the way it is. Okay. When it looks at the ways to assign those kids earlier, well, they can go to Latin America and they can fill those spots in. Right. So it may not have been intentional, but it still has happened. Mm-hmm. And then you have executives and scouts and coaches that are all one way now. We're all thinking one way. The shift in the game that's gone towards analytics isn't a numbers problem. Numbers are, have always been around and, and different types of – that's not a numbers deal. That's right. a thought process deal. And we're, we're getting away from the appreciation of that player. We're getting away from the inner city scouting again. This is a problem that took 40 years or 50 years to correct the first time around, right? Mm-hmm. And, and we got there, and then we went backwards. And you can look at it in, in your GM hirings. You can look at it in your um, – in your scouting directors, you can look at it in your analytics departments, you can look at under coaching staffs, they're all thinking the same way. And they want other people around them who group think. You and I, we've talked sports now for the better part of three or four years. Right. Okay, we agree on some things. Other things we go back and forth at each other. That's, right. that's, that's healthy. That's what's supposed that's to be right. how you make it organizations. And when it comes to the thought process of that, that's just the group that's being pushed out. Now, you said earlier, Major League Baseball should do more. Um, the only thing I think Major League Baseball can do is, is increase their partnerships instead of trying to control everything that runs through this sport. And mm. I say that because this one baseball, the contraction of minor league teams, the things that they're doing are all focused on, man, it's just about how they want to do it right now. That's it, period. Instead of, hey, there's a lot of good things about this game. It's very creative. We have these academies. 
we've gone a, a good step. We made a good step. These academies been around now you know, almost 20 years, right? It's good stuff. Yeah. What can we do to enhance that? How do we partner with people? How do we get people in these, in these buildings, these facilities? Because, you know, our programming, as much as we're doing, we can still do a better job of getting to these players on a broader scale. And I think the opportunity for MLB exists in how they utilize what they're doing now. It's how they expand what they're doing now. It's not about how they control what everybody else is doing. It's about how do we work with that to enhance our reach right now. And, and I think that there's some forward thinking in there now um, to look back at, at ways to be able to make that happen. My hope is that um, you begin to see a pipeline of, of thought, a pipeline of, of, of cultural differential in the game. Well, I think it's a shame. I think it's a shame because I think that's what makes baseball so beautiful, right? I mean, you, you have so you're able to, and that's why you guys in the scouting world are, are so, are so key to the development of the game. When, when you talk about analytics and I, I know what you feel about all that sort of stuff, but that that's what makes baseball so beautiful is that you're able to go and find that one player, find the diamond in the rough, like do the work, get in there and maybe it's just encompassed of um, some of these organizations like the Astros have done and kudos to them with their Astros Youth Academy yeah. to do more of that, right? That's what makes baseball beautiful to find these guys. Because if you can find them, give them the love of the game, really appreciate that. And then that, that's what blossoms. Let me, let me say this. First of all, this is going to shock you. So I'm glad you're sitting down. Okay. Kudos to the Astros. I agree. All right. Kudos we're to done the here, guys. Thank <laughs> you. All right. No, we're done. <laughs> kudos to the Astros. What I, what I will tell you, though, is everything you said I could not agree agree more with. I, I just but when you change the thinking, you change the thinking, you're gonna change the out the outcome. You're gonna change the result. And Major League Baseball was fishing in the same spot. Scouting didn't used to do that. We fished everywhere. Right. You didn't, didn't used to share um, and I sound like the guy old, old was it old guy hits yells at cloud. I mean I sound like that right? <laughs> old man not, yelling at clouds from his porch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean but when, when you're looking at at places to find players, you know, scouts from the White Sox, which, you know, do a good, great job and, and scouts from the Braves didn't get together and, and share who they liked. I didn't call more you competition. More yeah, competitive. Call, yeah. Right. Hey, Daniel, I'm in, uh, I don't know, Nat, Natchez, you know, Louisiana, and I've got this kid. You got to, I'm loving him. I'm a draft pay him. I'm a, you need to go. Yeah, you don't tell anybody that you're there to see this kid. No. <laughs> and that's happening now. Like we're, we're sharing information because we're afraid to be wrong and because we have to turn in things for so many people above us to quantify it instead of trusting the, the, the athlete, the player that we're seeing. Isn't it a double-edged sword though when you talk about sharing information though, like to get the exposure for some of these kids? Like if you, if, if you see, maybe, maybe it's not a fit, right? Like if, you, if a scout sees and shares information about a kid who's an inner city player and they tell somebody else, hey, you may need to check this out. So it's like, it's a double-edged sword, right? Or I don't, I don't know. Maybe it, from what you describe, it's, 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 it's very tricky. Like you can, you can go either way on that. There's a, there, well, look, there's events that people need to be part of to help the exposure. And I'm not saying you don't pull those kids out and put them there. What's yeah. different now is we're telling people who we like. So if right. I think Danny Grotera can play, I'm not calling Brian Bridges up on the phone. Usually it's, Hey Bridgie, I, like you got this guy second round for me, like, you know, 1.2, like you don't do that. And they're doing it now. They're doing it now because, because they're all fishing in, again, the same place and they're afraid to be wrong. Um, what I'm saying is, is that to, 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 at, its, at its bare bones analysis, if the college scholarships are not broad enough 
to make even a partial, because they all have to be partial scholarships, right? To allow college to be affordable for a, a player in a less than economically fortunate community. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm taking a skin color away from it. Okay. Yeah, sure. Less than economically fortunate community. Um, and you're not allowing those guys to go scout other places. Kids are going to stop playing. You got to have some kind of an outcome, whether it's college or pro, there has to be an outcome. And then I'll tell you from firsthand experience, and this is where I'll, this is where I am going to get on that box a little bit, going the way we've gone to only one type of executive changes who you bring in the organization. If you look around all 30 clubs, and it's nothing against that part of the game. When I say that, I know people have a hard time putting it together, but numbers are numbers and they've been there forever and they should be part of the game and, and how we grow this game and how we analyze it. And look, all that information is valuable. Mm-hmm. But when you eliminate people who didn't have a certain educational path, or you eliminate people who didn't have a certain um, or minimize what we call street knowledge, right? You minimize right. street knowledge. And what you end up with is one, one type of person making decisions. And that guy is going to go with what he knows. And if those black kids, I'm saying those African-American and black kids aren't getting to college because of all the different, they're not going to get in the games. They're not going to play. And that's the unfortunate part of it is that even if all the free programs you want to put together, all the, the less expensive things we can do at the grassroots level to get to players who just don't have the green, regardless of skin color, just don't have that, that green to afford $10,000 a summer, which mm-hmm. isn't most people in this country. That's no. not most people in this country. If you're going to do that, they still have to have an outlet. And if the outlet at college is cut off because they can't afford to go to school because they, because the scholarship doesn't work. Right. But yeah. basketball's got 15 of them. Right. And football is crazy. That baseball is crazy. That baseball is still at 11. I mean, that's, that's just, my point. Yeah. Now you're with me. Okay. And that's what I'm saying. So when you bring it to that level, Daniel, you're in a situation where, um, the outlet isn't there. Players stop playing to go play other sports. They go do other things to help them move forward with their life, right? Because the big leagues aren't promised everybody. It's not. Right. It's 19,500, I believe, the amount of guys that play in the big leagues in 100 and whatever amount of years of baseball we've had. That's There's less people in my suburb or more people in my suburb, right? Yeah. More people here than there are that play in the big leagues. you got to be kidding me. Right, right. All that time. So it, there's no, nobody's promised to do that. But the issue is – that if there's no outlet to get there, there's no way to afford it, and it's not a skin color, it's a green issue. Players that don't um, have that are going to make earlier choices a way to, to, to walk away. And then if you compound that with we're not getting signing the kids out of high school or we're not um, <clears throat> going to, to, to fish in those ponds, if you will, because we're looking at all these different numbers of quantify that focus on college baseball, mm-hmm. you're not going to have – and this is, where I'm, this is something I am passionate passionate about even even beyond about the pipeline you're not going to have black players you're not going to have black collegiate athletes you're not going to have black coaches and you will not have black executives and you've created yourself a, a a one world looking type of game and nobody out there this is where the kicker is nobody out there thinks that's a good idea you don't think it's a good idea i don't think it's a good idea nobody i know in baseball thinks it's a good idea but we're not fixing it because we're still focused on it has to be this way. So we talk about it and we do nothing. And on MLK day, the thing that always stands out to me every year is how he, how he brought, brought about change. Thank you, Jeremy. Can't wait to talk Astros baseball with you here in about a month. Pitchers and catchers scheduled to report. I wonder how that's going to look, especially with all the COVID issues pandemic wise. I just hope they play a full season. I'm ready for baseball. I'm ready to see the Astros again. More specifically, I'm a White Sox fan, so I'm ready to see the White Sox. Boy, they are loaded this year. I cannot wait to see the White Sox in that awesome bullpen. Great young lineup. We should win the division. 
and then compete for a lot more than that. Maybe see the Astros in the ALCS. Hopefully that's the case. And if that's true, then those are going to be some interesting podcast episodes because I will hear it from a lot of people that know I'm an Astros. Uh, not an Astro, not an not an Astros hater in those situations, but a White Sox fan. So I definitely have my allegiance to the White Sox in those situations. Uh, but anyway, I'm looking forward to talking to Jeremy about that and so much more. That'll do it for this episode of the podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We had a lot to talk about on this Monday to kick off another exciting and eventful week, I'm sure, in Houston sports. Thanks for tuning in. Like, subscribe to the podcast. If you haven't yet, I appreciate it if you do. Give me a review, a good one, so the bosses enjoy it. Until next time, see you later.